Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to a special episode of the Gallant Few podcast, one we've been really excited about. Today, myself and Scott sat down with Laura Fox from the board of Club 1872 and also former Rangers chairman, Mr. Dave King himself, to discuss the ongoing Never Again campaign as well as Dave's time at Rangers. We'd like to thank all of the listeners and the fans and follow follow who sent in your questions and I hope you enjoy. The Gallant Few Rangers podcast is brought to you by Triple H Mortgages, the one-stop shop for all your mortgage and mortgage insurance needs. Contact them today on 01453 887 or hello at com. You can also find them online at hhhmortgages.com or on their Facebook page. So myself and Scott are delighted to introduce our guest for today. First of all, from the board of Club 1872, Laura Fox. Laura, nice to speak to you again, and thank you very much for coming on. It's nice to speak to you guys. Thank you for having us. And a man who's no doubt so tired of hearing of this, but he deserves every bit of gratitude we can offer, former Rangers chairman, Dave King. Dave, thank you, first of all, for joining us, and thank you for pretty much everything you've done for our club. Uh, Thank you very much, guys, and... uh... I'm always very, very happy to get a chance to talk to our supporters. So thank you for giving me the time as well. No, thank you. And uh, a final thanks to all the listeners who took the time to send in their questions. And there are a few looking for more of an insight into Dave's time at the club. But first and foremost, we're here to talk about the Never Again campaign. Laura, there should not be a Rangers fan out there that doesn't know what the Never Again campaign is. But... Just for the avoidance of doubt, can you give us a brief overview of it and give us an update on how it's grown? 
Yeah, um, so as you said, we're calling it the Never Again campaign. We're also referring it to, uh, to it as a legacy campaign. Um, it's, it's to leave a legacy for future generations of Rangers supporters to protect the club um, so that we will never again experience what we've been through um, over the last eight or so years. Um, and the way for us to achieve that um, is to increase the shareholding to a significant level of around 25% or at least 25%. Um, and Dave has offered us the opportunity to reach that goal um, by purchasing his entire shareholding uh, in RIFC. So that is, in short, what the Legacy campaign or Never Again campaign is about. And in terms of an update on how it's going, um, we've been really pleased with the response. Um, Previously put an update out that we'd passed the 1500 mark. Um, We're now very close to 1600 Legacy members, um, but we've also signed up hundreds of additional members on standard donations because there are various ways that you can donate and they're all laid out on the website. Um, So in terms of overall donations and overall members, we're sitting at around the 8000 mark and we're really pleased with that because I think in the current circumstances we understand that times are difficult financially for many people so we're very very pleased with that response. Perfect and um, how does that go in terms of like your target we expect it to be just now Laura? We believe that we're on target and we knew that January would be a difficult month Um, we knew that Covid was hitting people hard um, but also January is a long month for people anyway Um, after Christmas you know you always hear people saying that that January is a long month Um, so we knew that there would be a drop off in January so we believe um, that that we're making good progress on that front Uh, That's that's brilliant to hear that you're on on target and so many so many fans, obviously January's a long month, uh, as you say, the best times, but during the current climate, so many fans are, are back in this. Um, yeah. You announced last week that you were going to take part in the new share issue, um, so buying shares directly for, from Rangers. How much of an impact would that have on your target or your time sale from buying shares from Dave himself? Well, the only impact really is is that it would delay it by six months, um, and the six month period has been set by Rangers. That's the time, the time scale that they've given us uh, to invest directly into the club through another share issue. Um, and Dave, from the outset, has always been very flexible on that front. So we always knew that there may be delays um, to the overall time scale involved. Um, we initially we initially set the target of achieving it in three years, um, but there will be a delay of sick of up to six months and um, where we have this opportunity to invest directly in rangers um, we we believe that this opportunity to invest directly in rangers is a benefit to the overall legacy campaign we think it supports the legacy campaign because for many fans we know that investing directly into the, the club to support the club is a priority and we believe that as more and more people sign up to Club 1872 to, to make that direct investment into Rangers, um, they'll see how we can benefit the club in that way. We'll see that in doing so, we will increase our shareholding um, and that would hopefully encourage other fans to um, to to sign up to Club 1872. Yeah, on that point, it's obviously a really important topic you've said there. So what would you what would you say to somebody, Laura, who was a bit hesitant to, to sign up to Club 1872? Well... I think what I would say is, I think I would outline what this is about, right? what we're trying to achieve just now. And I think it's about two things. In the very short term, um, it's about helping the club deal with the financial effects of COVID, which which unfortunately have cost the club millions of pounds. So that means that in the next six months, as I said, our priority will be to help the club plug that gap. Um, and growing the Club 1872 membership would allow us to do that. And the reality of it is there's no alternative to doing that. So 
you know, the reality is that that, that funding gap exists. Um, if you look at even gate receipts from European games alone, the club will have lost out on a couple of million pounds this season. So that needs to be dealt with. And we believe that the best way for fans to help the club to do that is to join Club 1872. The club gets the financial support. We increase the shareholding, which allows us to protect the club for future generations. So in the very short term, we very much see this as a win-win and, and, um, and a very positive thing for, for people to be doing. I would also draw people's attention to what we're trying to achieve, I think, in the longer term. This is about increasing the shareholding, as I said, to 25% and growing our membership to over 20,000. That's where the legacy part of that comes in. It allows us to protect the club for future generations. And it also, if we achieve that goal, allows us to create an ongoing um, ongoing contributions from the membership that could provide between two and three million pounds a year. Uh, for Rangers and that's I mean that's a Kimar roof every year so um, so I would draw people's attention to those sort of two key strands of what we're trying to achieve here I would also I think look at at why people are hesitant and there are are going to be many different reasons why people are hesitant one of the things that we do here a lot is that people don't necessarily feel that buying shares is relevant to them personally to those people I I would say that Club 1872 allows you to become part of an organisation with a shareholding that's significant enough to help protect the club. And that that protection is about making sure we never go through, as I said, what we've been through in in recent years. Having an an influence at a major shareholding level brings very tangible and important benefits to the club as a whole. And it's it's not actually about you as an individual wanting to take part in every vote that's held at Club 1872. For example, a lot of people simply aren't interested in that level of detail. Many are, really, we have many um, fans who are engaged, but there are people who don't, who aren't as interested in that level of detail. But I would say to those people, it's about a much bigger, a much more fundamental protection of the club. Um, And it's about future-proofing the club. So we do have a strong and, I think, trustworthy board in place that's managing the club very well on 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 many levels, but that isn't guaranteed to continue. Um, if we look back, things seemed to be going very well under David Murray until they weren't, right? We were happy for a, a wealthy individual to control the club because that worked for us for a long time until it didn't, right? It worked until it didn't. What happens to the shareholding when the current board are no longer around for whatever reason, right? By not investing in the protection of the club, we're really leaving that up to chance. We're, we're riding our luck. And I, I think after everything we've been through, we should be asking ourselves if that's a risk that we're willing to take. And for me, it's it's just not. And that's why I personally believe so passionately in Club 1872. But like, as I said, there are many reasons why people might be hesitant. Um, what I would say is, is talk to us, tell us why you're unsure. We'll do our best to address any concerns. But I think for most of the reasons that we hear on a regular basis about why people are hesitant, the key point to make is that one about the bigger the bigger picture and making sure we protect the club for future generations. Yeah, no, that's great, Laura. It gives us a, a lot of answers for people who are maybe not sure what what the Club 1872 are all about. So thanks very much for, for that. Dave, I'll come to yourself. So just um, how supportive are the current board of this share purchase and are these any other shareholders? Do you think they would do something similar? And would you think this may put off potential investors into the club at all? I've got no direct insight into the, the thinking of the board, only in the sense that um, from the time that I stepped down, I'm just like another supporter. I, I don't have access to what's happening at board meetings, and I shouldn't have, quite frankly. But what I can say is that those on the board are, are the same people who are on the board with me. And I think that 
Um, we're all there for the same purpose. And I think every single one of us agreed that the level of disconnect that the club had historically between supporters and the board was, was something that, that we didn't like. Um, and, and certainly all of the board members supported me during my time as chairman and always making sure that we offered shares to Club 1872. So I can see no reason why that would have changed. Therefore, um, I, I'm, I'm pretty happy to say that, that I, I'm reasonably certain that the board will be, will be supportive of continuing to keep supporters engaged with the club. As to whether someone else would do it, um, I mean, I can't talk for them, but I, my instinct would be no. Um, I think their circumstances are different. They're, they're based in Scotland. I think it might be something they see themselves passing on to their children in a way that wouldn't work for me, having having boys who grew up in South Africa. So um, I think they'll be very supportive of it, but I don't see I don't see anyone else taking the position that I've taken in terms of making shares available to supporters. Dave, can I just ask on the actual share purchase itself? Obviously, we spoke about the, um, the new share issue. Well. Club 1872 will be buying directly from the club and that will add an extra six months on to the agreement. I know it's been said quite openly that it is flexible between yourself and Club 1872, but is there a maximum time limit it could take? And what would the price that you'd be looking for increase as time goes on? There's not a maximum. So in my mind, there's not a maximum. We're not looking at 20 years because if it's 20 years, then clearly the, the thing is not working. But... Um, no, I mean, I don't really have um, a number in my mind. So if, if Club 1872 came to me in three and a half years and said, look, we're 60% of the way or 70% of the way, then I would extend it. It's really more important to me that, and I think Laura put it beautifully in, in what she said earlier, it, it really is important to me that the supporters do understand this is an opportunity to have a level of influence for generations in the club. And I certainly wouldn't let a year or two of my time get in the way of that. It's, it's really deeply important to me that the, that the Club 1872 do get that level of representation. So I will do whatever I can to assist them and, and I will be as flexible as I possibly can. And as far as price, no. No, absolutely not. The price will not go up, even, even if it's four years' time, because... I, I, I never, ever want to make a penny out of Rangers Football Club. And if the price went up, I would be making a profit. And that is not my intention. So the price will remain firm, even if I give an extension later on. That's really promising to hear eh, for, for all fans who have invested so far. A lot of our listeners and fans who were posting the questions, they're wondering what happens if we breach that kind of blue sky of 25% plus one share. Mm-hmm. and how it looks going forward. So right now, the legacy memberships is a variation of, you know, a kind of higher payment, and then over time it will drop down to £10 per month. How, obviously, Club 1872 is heavily reliant on members maintaining donations, but do you need, like, is there a certain percentage you need to maintain our donations, or are you looking for the donations to increase every year in terms of the amount of people joining? Well, Club 1872 is structured in a way um, that encourages ongoing donations. What you're asking is actually a really difficult question, probably an impossible question to answer fully, because the reality is we can't predict the future and we don't know what funding is going to be required by the club. The club have indicated that they believe, they've indicated this to us and they've indicated it publicly, that they believe they're approaching a more normal, a more um, sustainable operating structure which would mean that they won't need cash injections on an ongoing basis and if you look at other businesses other football clubs even 
They don't go to shareholders year after year asking for funding to plug huge financial gaps. That's not a normal way for a business to operate and it's not something that we are the club would expect to continue at Rangers. So having said that, um, at Club 1872, we will still have income beyond the point where we achieve uh, the stated goal of the legacy campaign. And as I say, Club 1872 is set up to work that way with donations coming in on an ongoing basis. What those funds would allow us to do is to maintain the shareholding if that's required at some point in the future, beyond us achieving the 25%, but it also would um, allow us to fund projects. So, for example, if the club makes a decision on safe standing, which is something that Club 1872 has campaigned for, um, along with the union bears, um, but it's something that the club don't appear to have made a decision on, despite it being, I think, very popular among the support. But that is the kind of thing that Club 1872 could fund with the ongoing donations um, that will be brought in by the, the structure that we've put in place. Um, that structure allows us, as I say, to have those funds available in circumstances where we might need them, where it might be required, but also for projects that aren't necessarily required but are important to the Rangers' support. And as always, it would be members who would decide how those funds are spent. Yeah, just keep on that point, Laura. So there is some fans who may be a bit nervous regarding the, the lack of cash flow in there. So is there a number of members that you will need to maintain um, you know, a significant input and support to the club after you've completed the purchase of the shares? Yeah, again, it's really difficult to put a number on it. We, we can't predict the future, so we don't know we don't know what funds are going to be required in the future. What I would say, though, is the only barrier to Club 1872 having cash flow is people not signing up. I mean, it's, it's really that simple. Um, and it's why we are committed to this campaign over a period of time so that we can build up the membership and ensure that those ongoing funds are in place. Club 1872 works to scale. The more people who join Club 1872, the more secure the whole thing becomes. And if we look, if we look at Rangers, right, we pulled ourselves back from the very bottom of Scottish football after 2012, and Rangers was pulled back by the support, a support that pulled together and ploughed money into the club. And it really was that pulling together of the support that was the key part of that. And I always think, like, if you imagine, if, if you set your mind back to um, around the, the time that we were demoted. If tens of thousands of us as individuals had looked at it and thought, um, I'm not sure if we're ever going to make it back to the top. Um, so what I'm going to do is not buy season tickets. I'm not going to buy match tickets. I'm just going to sit back, do nothing and wait and see if we become successful again. And if I do that, then I'll start buying my season ticket again. We literally would never have made it back to where we're at now. It, it simply couldn't have worked. And Club 1872 is exactly the same. It needs people to get behind it for it to work. Um and I think to individuals who are worried about cash flow, I would say directly to them that the best way for Club 1872 to maintain a cash flow is for you to help us do it. So you might be looking at it now and wondering if it's successful enough, if Club 1872 is doing enough. And the answer is no, it's not. And the reason it's not is because we don't have the numbers required to allow it to do enough. Um I'm very proud of what we have achieved. If we look at what we've done with the, the relatively very small amount of backing we've had from the support, so with between about six and 7,000 members, we invested £1.5 million into the club over a period of just over one year. We bought out Mike Ashley's shareholding. We helped get rid of that very toxic influence at the club. And we funded several projects that benefited the Rangers community. So it might be a case that as an individual you donate to Club 1872, but you don't ever see it achieve the success you wanted it to. That That's where I'm at as an individual just now. I have been making my donations for many years to Club 1872, and I haven't seen it grow 
to where I wanted it to be. But that's a risk that we take as individuals when we join. And what I would say is one thing that is for absolute certainty is that if we don't commit as individuals, we're making it far less likely that it will succeed. It works at scale. We need people to get involved. We need people to look at this and say, I'm going to be part of that because for every one person that becomes part of it, for every two, for every 10, for every thousand, it becomes far more likely that the whole thing is going to succeed. So what I would say to people is you you might not be able to guarantee. You might look at people like Dave. You might look at people um, like John Bennett, uh, Douglas Park, who plowed millions as individuals into the club. You might look at that and say, right, well, I'm never going to be able to, to compete at that level. I'm never going to be able to contribute, sorry, at that level. That's certainly true, but collectively we can contribute at that level. So do you have millions of pounds in your bank as an individual to create a, a cash flow at Club 1872? Probably for most people, the answer is no. For me, certainly the answer is no. But do you have £10 a month that you could put towards it? For me, the answer is yes. And that's why I've been doing that. Um, and I would hope that for most people who answer yes to that question, that they would that they would listen to what we're telling them about this sense of collective responsibility um, and, and work together, pull together in the same way that we did when we ploughed millions of pounds into the club and bought those season tickets and help the club get to where back to where it belongs let's collectively take that responsibility for club 1872 put what we can into it as individuals pull together and 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 achieve what we're trying to achieve at club 1872 as well yeah definitely and it's it's great to hear about you know some of the s- stories that you've said on the investment into to rangers 1.5 million and buying out sports direct shares um, I know you mentioned, you know, it's not where you want it to be, like it's not growing the way where you want it to be right now. Is there any thought into the, the structure of um, 18, Club 1872 once the, the shares are purchased or is that, you know, too far down the line? No, um, look, in terms of the governance of Club 1872, um, it's exactly where it needs to be for now and in the future. Um, it has a very strong, a very robust constitution in place. It was put in place um, in collaboration with the, the regulator of community interest companies. And on that note, I think it's important to stress that Club 1872 is independently regulated, highly regulated and, and independently so. So in terms of the governance side of things, we have a robust constitution in place. Um, things are good on that front. Um, and I think that will stand us in good stead for the future. Operationally, though, um, we will need to strengthen as we continue to um, to increase the shareholding and, and grow the membership. Um, and we're doing that at the moment um, through a, um, a volunteer uh, workforce. And we're always keen to hear from members who want to get more involved in Club 1872. Um, and we've done a few podcasts now and there's always been a really good response to them. With people contacting us and, and asking how they can help support Club 1872. It's not always possible um, when we look at skill sets and availability and whatnot. It's not always possible to find a role for people. But what's been really good recently um, is that the campaign, I think, has has focused people. And we've heard from around, I would say, 10 um, members with very specific skill sets that we believe will be very beneficial to the campaign and, and to Club 1872 as it grows. Um, and we're putting together a, a team of those professionals um, to form working groups to help us on the operational side of things. Um, and those those professionals come from a, a wide range of backgrounds. So we've got digital marketing, uh, website analytics, communications, advertising, accounting. Um, really, really pleased with the response that we've had to that. And and those people are helping us, on as I say, on a voluntary basis at the moment. But I think as the organisation grows, we will, we will professionalise it. 
we have a, an admin budget of up to 5% of our income, but that is a very, very small amount compared to other similar organisations. So the reality of our situation at the moment is that we don't have the luxury of employing staff the way, for example, um, like the Rangers Youth Development Company or the Rangers Charity Foundation does. 5% at this moment in time is not is not a lot of money, but as the membership increases, that percentage would come down and we would expect that costs uh, would stabilise. So at 20,000 members, that 5% that we have available to spend might become more like 2%. At 50,000 members, it might become like 1%. Um, again, that's a scale thing. And the more we grow, the more the support gets behind Club 1872, the more professional the organisation can become. Yeah, that's good to hear. And it's really good to, to hear that like people are getting in touch to, to, to help Club 1872. It's really positive. Um, Always delighted to hear from people. And yeah, again, if so, there are people, if there are people listening that that haven't been in touch yet, please do reach out to us, and um, uh, you know, be very, very grateful to hear from you. Absolutely. And um, just the last point here is: uh, is board representation still a, a realistic goal for Club eighteen seventy two? Yeah, we believe so. Um, our current position is that like, we have a 5% shareholding in the club um, and with the number of members that we have, we, we believe that we are worthy, I guess, of a board place. Um, it's a stated aim of the organisation and it is what, it's definitely what Club 1872 members want. We polled members um, on that um, some time ago, but there is a process to get to that point. And what I would say is that certainly as the shareholding grows, the case for us having a board place becomes stronger and stronger. I think when we get to 15 20%, it, it would be virtually impossible for that not to happen and um, it's something we believe is achievable and it's something we're working towards Dave can I just ask yourself with um, Club 1872 grown um, over the last you know, since, its, since its birth really and planning on growing into what Laura was saying a, a larger more professional organisation will you play any role after your, sale, after your shares are sold either with Club 1872 or the club itself as an advisor, or you just try to sit back and enjoy your time as a fan, really? When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Yeah, look, look my intention, um, let's say my positive intent would not to interfere with Club 1872 or get involved in any way, but certainly... If Club 1872 ever felt that there was um, advice I could give them or, um, you know, some context to situations, you know, I'd be at the end of a phone or the end of an email, but I've got no reason other than to support Club 1872 in their own endeavours. So it's not something I would be positively doing myself. Well, just back to yourself there. So a few of the listeners were asking how you would 
be able to remain an independent fans group while liaising with a you know selected member of, on board. Um, so what what barriers do you feel as though this this brings? Well, there are barriers. I think it's important to to be upfront about that. Um, and it would be for the selected candidate um, who sits on the Rangers board to negotiate those. Um, I think what, what's important to state is that that person would absolutely know the views and the wishes of the Club 1872 membership because we already have a structure in place for those views to be made known. So if an example of that would be what I just referred to, which is, do you think we should have a place on the Rangers board? Um, it would be the, that person's job to represent those views to the Rangers board. But what wouldn't happen, what shouldn't happen and what wouldn't be able to happen um, is that that person would update Club 1872 members or the wider support on details of board meetings or um, internal board discussions. That person would have directorial duties to Rangers. Um, those duties would include confidentiality, but it is absolutely possible for someone to negotiate that process. I think the key point is that as long as everyone involved and that would be the individual, the Rangers board and the Club 1872 membership, as long as we all understand how it works. And I think for supporters, the most important part of that would be knowing that there is someone there representing their views directly to the Rangers board. That's something that's never happened at Rangers before. I think it would be a modern, a progressive move. And for me, it's another very good reason for us to get behind Club 1872 as a support and to grow the, the shareholding. Also, sorry, I think um, in terms of board representation, it's important to point out that it wouldn't be someone from the Club 1872 board. It'd be someone who's independent from our board. And I think it would be it would have to be a candidate who understands the role and what's required, not only in terms of Club 1872, but, but someone who would also bring experience. There's nothing novel about this. I mean, I was making the point that I've got a number of businesses that I'm invested in where other people represent me on the board. Uh, because I don't sit on the boards myself, so they represent me. Now, it's known at the board meeting that they're, they're representing me as a shareholder. I um, mean, that's understood, and they make the representations I want them to make. But in terms of their duty on the board itself, they, of course, have duties to the company that's independent of the shareholder. Therefore, certain things they would get, they might be confidential, they wouldn't be shared with me. So it's really a very routine thing that happens all the time. So I really don't see that the Club 1872... Um, representation of the Rangers board is anything that's even remotely complex. It's actually very, very standard. Yeah, I think I think that's an important point, and I think it's also important important um, to point out that it really would be a win-win. It would be a candidate a candidate would be selected who would strengthen the Rangers board. It would be someone who would have expertise that would would enhance the Rangers board. Um, and as I say, it's a win-win not only for the club but for Club eighteen seventy two. It's good to hear that um, when you were describing that there, it's at the forefront, it's absolutely someone who represents your members and the fans. But there's an old cliche, if you had three Rangers fans in a desert island, by the next day there'll be five Rangers supporters clubs. So yeah. suppose my question is really, probably, like, how do you do it now? How do you engage all your members and get a, a, a kind of majority wins vote? And how, how will you plan to do that when your membership grows? Well, it's Club 1872's democracy in action. So we have the mechanisms in place uh, via the website um, to poll members on all key decisions. And that's that's written into our constitution. No key decisions can be taken at Club 1872 by the board. So again, if we if we take it back to reasons why people might be hesitant, they might look at it and say, right, that's potentially a huge shareholding 
in the hands of a very small number of individuals, but it's actually not because we're prevented by the constitution that's in place, um, which, as I said, is overseen by the, the independent regulator of community interest companies. Um, and that, that ensures that all key decisions at Club 1872 are taken by the membership. So that would uh, that would continue. Um, so that's that's one way that we engage the entire membership. It's, it's entirely democratic and it's entirely accessible. Um, <coughs> excuse me. One of the things that we often hear from people is a question as to why we don't hold an AGM. Now, we do hold an annual um, meeting of the contributors, the, the, the Club 1872 members, but our, our annual meetings are not the same as the Rangers AGMs, for example, where you go and vote your shares um, at the AGM. We take all key decisions online. That means it's entirely accessible. Um, you don't have to turn up to an AGM to, to have your voice heard. You don't have to um, be at an AGM to express your views. Um, we also hold various um, meetings with supporters throughout most normal years. Unfortunately, we're not we're not in normal times just now because of COVID. Um, and on that front, um, we would continue to engage with supporters. Hopefully, when things return to normal face-to-face, we would uh, hope to get back to doing roadshows and um, having a, a, a presence at the stadium. And um, we have that structure in place, as I said, that people can communicate with us online on key decisions. And um, we also have board members who man the email accounts at Club 1872. So we are in, in one-to-one dialogue with members. We'll continue to engage with um, fan media. We'll continue to engage with um, traditional media um, to engage with the wider support. But yeah, we do have a structure in place that allows us to engage directly with the Club 1872 membership. Yeah, no, perfect. So just uh, moving on as well, and it's a question for for both yourself, Dave and, and Laura there. So is there any changes you would you would like to see when the twenty five percent plus one goal is achieved is reached? The only change um, that, that I, I would like to see would be that the club eating signature of representation on the board, which is the point that we've, that we've just discussed. Um, because in a, in a certain sense, you know, I viewed myself as just being a supporter of, of being like club eighteen seventy two, but slight, in a slightly larger scale. So. It's going to have a realignment there. So I think as long as Club 1872 have representation on the board, which as a larger shareholder, they automatically would have to have, then I really think that's sufficient um, in, in terms of a change from where we are now. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think that's the most significant change that, that I would want to see. And I, I think that, um, well, I know that Club 1872 members would agree that they want to see that change because, as we've already said, they, they were polled on that on that issue. Members contact us all the time about changes they'd like to see at the club, and some of those relate to shareholder issues, but others don't. And as a major shareholder, it is important that we can differentiate between those two. There are issues that we can take to the club that are not shareholder issues, but it's important that we differentiate. And one of the major issues that people contact us about on a regular basis is PR and communications at the club. Those are areas that people want to see improvements in and that is the kind of issue that we prioritise as major shareholders in our dealings with the club at the moment. Um, This campaign will run over a period of years so we don't know what circumstances the club will be in at the point we reach 25% but as I said before, the mechanisms are in place for members to express their views and we also would at that point, as Dave's just said, have a representative on the board that would strengthen that process of engaging with the club on, on major shareholding issues. Laura, what would you say the, the biggest challenge is that you've faced so far in, in the campaign? 
The campaign's been run, running for a relatively short period of time, um, a couple of months, and COVID undoubtedly has been the biggest challenge. Um, I think I think every business, um, I was going to say in the UK, but maybe every business across the world would say, would give that answer just now. Um, it has impacted the campaign in that we are not able to get face-to-face with supporters. We don't have a match day um, presence at, at Ibrooks anymore. Um, we, we aren't able to get in front of RSCs to do roadshows and whatnot. Um, and financially, it's taken its toll on on individuals, um, and therefore, I, well, we know because supporters have contacted us and said, "I'm not in a position financially to commit to this at this stage." But you know, it's great that you have that three year three year plan in place because at some point, I'll I'll, I'll get to it. Um, so, undoubtedly, COVID has been um, has been the biggest challenge so far. Just just on that, Laura, I know it's hard to like kind of predict the future and predict things, but do you think once we get back to what will hopefully be normal after the pandemic comes to an end. Do you think, are you expecting a spike in membership or is it very much just kind of waiting progressively see how it goes for now? It's so difficult, um, so difficult to predict. I, I remember like when the first lockdown started, I remember sort of imagining that there would be this day when lockdown ended and we could all just go out and get back to normal. And these things have been um, phased over a period of time. And I think that will continue in the future. So I don't, I wouldn't necessarily expect that there will be a spike, but I think that we will see a gradual increase in membership as life returns to normal. It's certainly something that we're hoping for. Um, life returning to normal will certainly allow us to campaign in a way that we're not able to at the moment, so we would hope it, we would hope that there would be um, that we would see a, a, a correlating link with um, with sign up in terms of sign ups. Dave, as Colin mentioned at the, at the start, the listeners are looking into uh, a bit of an insight when you stepped into the board. So, uh, why did you decide to do it at that that time, Dave? The, the reason at that time. I guess this was the timing of where the club was at that point in time. You know, I was really watching the situation from afar. Um, the club was in very, very dire circumstances. Um, we were struggling at the championship level, quite frankly, never mind challenging for, for the premiership title. We're actually struggling to go out of the championship. Um, Mike Ashley and the Easdale Axis had this kind of vice-like grip on the club and its finances to the extent that it was absolutely clear if there wasn't some kind of intervention Rangers would never, ever be a competing club in Scotland again. Uh, in fairness, I viewed it as being as being extremely dark to the point that Scotland would, would become a one-team country. You know, I mean, Celtic could have looked at 20 titles in a row, 30 titles in a row, never mind 10. I mean, there was just no prospect of any other club challenging them because they didn't have the resources. And Rangers was the only club because of an inherent level of support. But the club was being strangled by, by the Ashleys and the Easdales for, for, for personal interest. And, you know, I was kind of watching this and I was continually surprised or bemused, um, I don't know which word is more appropriate, by the inability of the various consortia that were put together within within Scotland, you know, supporters groups, which were well intended in terms of taking control of the club. But, of course, they lacked the financial muscle. The key was trying to get a backer in there who who, who had some money behind them. And it really just got to a point where I just thought the situation is just so desperate. Our club could actually be gone. We'd, we'd never, ever. Because you know, it just takes a couple of years or even, I always thought from a legacy point of view, you had kids growing up in Glasgow who never, ever saw a successful Rangers team. And, and I just got to a point where I thought, no, I actually have to do something about this. And, and it was really, 
my desperation from a distance that I just thought our club just cannot continue like this and it needs an intervention by one person to lead it who's willing to put money in and, and that, that really was the basis of me getting involved. No, and we, we all thank you sincerely for, for doing it when you when you did, Dave. You, you previously mentioned uh, Club 1872 were, were instrumental in, in your involvement. So how was it, uh, how did they pers- persuade you I mean, essentially, at that time, what was happening is that you had people like Chris Graham in particular. And I'd never met Chris, but he got hold of me. And, and, and Chris was talking to a lot of supporters and people who, you know, very often names I'd heard of, but people I'd never met. And they were doing whatever they could do to, to buy up small amounts of shares here and there to try and convince some of the institutional shareholders to vote this way versus that way. And it was really my working, particularly with Chris, when we were trying to figure out how to go about getting control of the club. No, no, once I'd made the decision, the question is, how do we enact it? And if it wasn't for the support of someone like Chris Graham, who I dealt with on a regular basis, who was giving me spreadsheets, who was talking to people. Um, and and really, we, we at that time, if you go back to regime change, and working with Chris in these spreadsheets and me flying to London and meeting people, we, we really, up until probably about 48 hours before regime change, still weren't absolutely sure we were getting it across the line. Uh, and that's how tight it was. And I, I developed a lot of respect for Chris and some of the other people I worked with. And that then evolved into a kind of ongoing relationship in the sense that after we achieved regime change, when I went out and spoke to the supporters, because there was quite a big crowd out in, in the street, and I went out and spoke to them. And, 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 and one of the first things I said uh, at that very early time was the importance of getting shareholder getting shareholder representation um, in the company. So it's something I've really said on day one. Um, and I then maintained that relationship with Chris as to how we look at various ways. And then, of course, it then evolved into Club 1872. And I then met Laura. And certainly, um, since I get involved with the club again, um, I've certainly enjoyed working with the present group of people who are now at Club 1872. And, and, and certainly when I got to the stage of looking at how I can contribute to my own vision of increased shareholder support, it was my trust and belief in the individuals at Club 1872 that made me think that they were the right vehicle for me to, to work with. So you mentioned there on day one that this was in your head to get fans, uh, you know, to, to give fans a a share um, or representation at least. Was it always your intention to potentially sell off to a, a fans group if they were strong enough or did you have any other vision in mind in day one or was it very much just your focus was on getting the club in the right hands and then taking it from there? You know, the, it, for me that was just the emotion of the moment. You know, I, I just felt that everything that we'd gone through, I came out, I was talking to the supporters, you know, they were obviously delighted at what we'd achieved and just the kind of emotion at the time where I was saying to supporters, no, we've come through this, we've now got this new beginning, but let's make sure never again. So, so really, I was really just saying emotionally, guys, let's make sure this never happens again. And the only way it can not happen again, in fact, is to have proper supporter representation where you don't end up with that disconnect. I mean, you can disagree with the board and you can disagree even within the board, as different directors sometimes do, but you can't have a level of disconnect where supporters, for whom the club is really run and, 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 and everything about the club is about the supporters. It's not about the owners. You just can't have that level of disconnect between supporters and the owners. We witness what can happen. Um, and, and just emotionally, I was saying to the supporters, 
let's make sure this doesn't happen again. And as chairman of the board, I will certainly provide every opportunity for supporters to participate. And, and I certainly did that. So every single time we had a share issue, I allowed Club 1872 to support to the maximum extent that they, they could possibly afford to do so at the time. Obviously, when you stepped in, Dave, it was, you know, I think to say it wasn't all a rosy garden would be an understatement, but there's been, it's been well documented. There have been so many dogfights uh, publicly that the club's been brought into like the, the sports direct like litigation. Do you think if the club was in a better position or if there was less barriers, this would have come into your thinking earlier in terms of selling your shares to Club 1872? No, 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 it wouldn't. Um, I mean, you're right about the rose garden. I think it, it would even be kind to call it a, weed, a garden of weeds. I think even weeds were, uh, it was kind of worse than that. But the the, the, the division of Club 18, the sports director, nothing to do with that. You know, the timing of, of Club 1872 is only to do with the timing of me stepping down from the board. It was really um, when I when I stepped down and I was thinking, Let's call it my legacy, if you want to use that term, but thinking, what do I do next? I've got kids who are essentially South Africans, so I'm, I'm not like some of the local guys where, who've got kids who may continue and go to games. You know, my, my kids are South African. Yeah, the range of supporters, but from a distance. They're Liverpool supporters from a distance. So I really didn't view my shareholding ever as being something I would pass on to my children. So the question was then, what should happen to it? And that's what gave me the idea. You know, I said, I've always supported Club 1872. I've always wished for increased share of support. Who better than me, in fact, given my circumstances, to deliver that? Um, and the discussion I had with Club 1872 really probably started, I mean, Laura might remember, but probably about six months, probably after I announced that I was stepping down, which was in November. And in that intervening period between me announcing I was stepping down and actually leaving, I was already talking to 1872 and saying, listen, I'm thinking about what to do thereafter. And, and I'd like to find a way of, of dealing with Club 1872. And it then became a question of whether we could get a structure that, that, that made sense for both of us. And I think that's obviously what we've got in place right now. So the final part, we'll move away from, from, from the business aspect. And um, Dave, there's so much, uh, so much positive change since you've returned to Rangers. But what would you say your, your biggest achievement has been? Um, my biggest achievement um, would be, you know, if you think back to regime change, you think back to what I said initially and what I said every for five AGMs. I said what I wanted and what we all wanted was to get Rangers back to competing for league titles, competing in Europe and being the number one club in Scotland. I went short of saying winning league titles because I'm alert to the fact that you can compete and not always win. And even great Rangers teams didn't always win. So it's not. So, so from my point of view, I think, as I say here today, I think we're definitely the number one club in Scotland. We've seen that so far in terms of football. We're, we're competing for titles. Um, and we're competing in Europe. So I think that I would regard that as being the, the achievement we are there. Um, we haven't won a title yet. Um, and I think it's important to stress that it's not over till it's over. And, and I'm certainly not taking it for granted. But the, the fact is we are competing. We are a Rangers team. I think that those of us who've been around longer recognise as being a Rangers team. You know, we're, we're recognisable. And I think very importantly, we've done it in a way where... We didn't sacrifice the on-the-pitch investment and, and let the off-the-pitch stuff deteriorate completely. You know, we inherited a dilapidated stadium, even basic health and safety protocols were in place. We had no, I mean, you guys might not know this, but when we get in on day one, 
Rangers didn't even have a scout. They didn't have one single scout, it, not, not even at school level. We had no infrastructure. The stadium was falling apart. I mean, literally, the roofs were falling apart. So to have done everything that we've done on the football field while at the same time doing what we've done for the level of infrastructure, for developing you know, the, the scouting, the recruitment, the director of football, the training, the, you know, just getting a high-performance environment there, um, I really think, you know, and, and I thank all my board members for that as well who supported me. You know, I think it really has been um, an amazing achievement and, and I'm, I'm just very, very grateful to be where we are today and, and for myself and all supporters to at least have some pride in our club once again because that was missing for too many years. I think uh, it goes without saying and I, I don't always want to speak on behalf of the whole range of support but I'm, I'd, I'd be... I'd be surprised if there was MD who doesn't have great pride in how how our club are compared to how we were six, seven years ago. What what a lot of fans really point out is there seems to be a football philosophy from you know the the under fourteens right into the the B team into the first team and even the women's team. There's this philosophy, um, and it looks like we we do have a proper footballing set up and a structure with a director of football. Suppose the question a lot of supporters had, Dave, was how much personally did you, how much of a role did you personally have in terms of these decisions? In terms of a, a director of football, you know, appointing Stephen Gerrard, was that all you, or was that kind of a, a board decision? I mean, ultimately, all the decisions become board decisions. But at that point in time, I was very active um, in the running and the rebuilding of the club. I was spending virtually all of my time in Rangers and, and very little of my time in, in my other business interests. I mean, Rangers dominated my life for five years and we had to start everything from scratch. So even things you're talking about, the philosophy, um, you know, we worked with, with Mark Allen um, at that and looking at it. And one of the things that we were concerned about was to try and get a Rangers way and a Rangers philosophy that, for example, didn't depend on the manager. You know, you get one, one manager comes in, he's got a certain style of football, that could be long ball. Then another manager comes in and he wants to play tic-tac-toe and, 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 and tappy-passy stuff. You know, we thought, let's have a Rangers philosophy. We're playing in Scotland. We, we're going to get back to number one. We're going to dominate games. Let's play a level of football, a style and a philosophy that goes from the youngsters all the way through. And we'd bring managers in to support our philosophy of being, being Rangers. And, you know, Mark Allen did all the hard work in terms of putting that together and bringing it back to the board and saying, listen, this is what we need. This is the structure. This is the resources. This is what we need to operate at that level. Um, but it took the board's backing because every single decision we made required money. And as you guys know already, you know, every time I wanted money, I had to go back to the same guys and kind of put my hand in their pockets all the time. So every decision we made was what's right for the club, and what can be done at the moment with our with our resources. And we were mindful that, you know, from the supporters' point of view, which we all are, progress in the pitch was the most important thing. But the board couldn't abandon that and, and ignore the infrastructure stuff, both in the footballing and non-footballing side, that was necessary for the long-term success of the club. And, and, and I come back and I say, you know, repeating what I said earlier, that I think we now have, I really think, a very, very fit-for-purpose club at all levels. Our infrastructure, the the Auckland Highway situation, the staff, the levels, the sports science that we're using. I mean, I think we really are as a club in a great place to not only look back and say we're kind of back where we should be, but I think we're now in a position to kick on and, and do even better going forward. Yeah, I completely agree, Dave. It's you know, like I think you know, we could 
state of the art, everything that's coming out, you know, in terms of the tra- training facilities and things like that. Um, so, you know, the, the culture within the club is is such a such a high standard, um, you know, world class standard that we're, we're really hoping to achieve. You mentioned there about, um, you know, Mark Allen supporting you, um, you know, greatly. So who do you feel played the biggest role in supporting you at like at a boardroom level? The, the, the whole of the board supported me. I mean, you know, some obviously put in more money and some put in less money, but I think everyone put in um, both the time, the effort and the money in accordance to what, what they could do. So I think we were all equal. You know, I mean, we. I mean, I think it really was a, a, a situation where I think every single board member did what they could um, to, you know, to help, to help get the club back on path. And um, yeah, so I, I really wouldn't like to single anybody. I really do think it was a collective effort. So to finish off, uh, I want to ask you both about the magic number. Uh, I don't want to sound as if I'm, I'm jinxing this season. It's looking very, very positive so far. But 55, when it comes this season or next year or two years' time, as far as I'm concerned, 55 will come. And for me, it's, it's the most important lead victory, lead title that I'll see in my lifetime. Well, I'll start with you and then, Dave, I'll get your take on it. What does 55 mean to you personally, or what will it mean to you personally when it comes? Oh, it's it's going to be like overwhelming, I think, emotionally. Um, what an achievement it will be, not just for the club, but for the support, um, who, as I said earlier, pulled together and helped the club achieve it. Um, I agree with you. I think, you know, we have to try and be sensible. Um, it's not one year and, you know, it might happen this year. It might happen next year. I agree with you that it, it will happen. Um, but I also agree with Dave, like we are competing, right? There's a really good chance that it's going to happen this year. Um, and and how, how amazing that does that feel, you know, as a Rangers fan to be in that position where we have that belief that we that we can do it, that we're going to do it. Um, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I can't, I can't wait for it. Um, I hope to spend it with my family. I hope to celebrate with my family because I go at the games with my family. Um, supporting Rangers has always been a family thing for me. My, my grandpa supported Rangers, and um, my dad used to take us to games when we were kids. Um, I've taken various foster children. I used to be a foster carer. I've taken various foster children through the years to to see Rangers. Um, my own kids, uh, my nephews. So I'm really hoping that I'll be I'll be celebrating it with with my family. But yeah, it's it's going to mean so much. It's going to mean so much. Dave, what about yourself? Yeah, I think from my can I just say firstly though that I as I see answered this question in Mark Headley's podcast, and you know I made the point which I'm going to make again now that. You know, we waited a long time to win a league title. And I think for every single supporter, we would not we would not um, regard the club as being back to what I call that recognisable Rangers without winning a league title. So the, the league title really is paramount, I, th- I think, for all of us. And I made the point, though, that I, I still watch with some nervous anticipation when, we, when we're playing at the moment. I'm certainly not taking the, 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 this title for granted. And I made a comment about what I would do when we won, and someone kind of took it out of context and said I was already celebrating. So I just want to make it very clear that if anyone thinks in the previous podcast that, I was, that I'm prematurely celebrating, then the exact opposite is true. I think we've got to fight for every single point. And, I mean, the mere idea that somehow it could slip from our grasp this year is, is unthinkable for me. So I'm still approaching with some nervous, nervous anticipation and... To me, it's not over till it's over. So, you know, I'm still very much in the camp of let's just fight for every point and, and, and let's just try and get there before we celebrate. But what I what I did do um, when I get back involved in the club 
was uh, I purchased a bottle of wine from Christie's Auction in London, and it's an 1872 Ekem. And I actually bought that and put it away in my cellar in Johannesburg for the next time we ever win a title, whenever that would be. Uh, if it's this year, fantastic. It's looking good, but it's not done. But when when we get title number 55, whenever that is, then I'll be opening that bottle of 1872 Ekem. Ideally, I'd like to be over in Glasgow. Um, but right now, you know, international travel is impossible, particularly South Africa. I think South Africa, because of this so-called South Africa COVID strain, I think we are kind of banned from flying into most countries in the world. So it looks like I'll be I'll, I'll be locked in South Africa for quite a bit longer. But yeah, so it'll, it'll be opening the bottle of wine. That, that's what I will do when that happens. There you are. That's, uh, that's some jump for a bottle of Buckfast and gas milk then, eh? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but... Um, so always just to finish on the high note. So all that's left to do is thank you to to our guests. First of all, Laura, thank you very much and all the best with the, the legacy campaign. Thank you. And Dave, thank you again for your time today and everything you've done for the club. Please, thank, thank you so much. No, I, I really appreciate the chance to chat with you guys. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.